0: Back on the fan morning shows. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Men's National Championship gets underway later this week. 16 teams vying for the national title, of course. Matthew Nye is one of the top prospects in the tournament. Minnesota Golden Gophers are the number one seed in the Fargo, North Dakota pool. All eyes will be on what he does at this tournament and then what happens next, because Maple Leafs fans have been anxiously awaiting Mm -hmm. His chance to play with the blue and white and someone that's been following his progress and his hopeful join um, in the next month or a couple of weeks is Jason Bukala, former director of amateur scouting, the Florida Panthers, current sports analyst for us here. How's it going this morning, Jason?
1: Fantastic, guys. Happy spring, first day. Let's get this going. Thank hey, you very much.
0: Of course. We love a good
1: spring. So today or yesterday? Well,
0: it's... Uh, we give out
1: fake news yesterday?
0: Yesterday, and
1: yes, there's two different... I always thought it was the 21st. I don't there's say two other.
0: reasonings behind... We'll get to this another time. But traditionally, okay, it is the 21st. Rare. But you know okay. what? Spring is first in the air. Day. First full day. First full day of spring. All right. Spring is in the air. We love it. Um, that's something to get excited for. And of course, Matthew Nye's um, his final stretch here, headed towards the Frozen Four. We've all been waiting patiently and anxiously as well uh, with bated breath to see what he does with this Maple Leafs team so um, just this final stretch watching Nyes um, over the last couple of months where's he at with this game right now and the uh, level of anticipation that you might have as well to see what happens after this um, hopeful successful NCAA career comes to an end.
2: So in scouting circles, you know, when you're scouting players, um, some guys, uh, you know, their element is, you know, pure offense, and it's easy to identify, you know, like when you watch a wheel, uh, a knee lander when he was, you know, developing as a prospect, you could pretty much understand what type of player he was going to be. Uh, one of the terms that we like to try and, you know, uh, find in a perfect world is a complete player. And Matthew Niles is leaning complete player for me at this stage. So, um, he 's playing as well as he ever has um obviously big or, uh, yeah big ten player of the year uh Hobie baker nominee um you know some of the stats that jump off just and i know i 'm not really a stats guy, but some things just don 't lie right so um seven game winning goals out of his twenty one six power play goals plus twenty six so he 's tracking up and down the ice, playing a, a responsible game defensively. You know he leans on opponents. He's heavy in the hard areas. Um, I don't know, guys. Like he's he's for me out of all the NCAA right now, um, he's the most likely immediate impact NHL prospect. And the reason that is is because he doesn't have to score goals to have an impact. He can bring all those other tangibles uh, to the game. Uh, His speed has gone to another level. So. I'm excited to see him um, eventually in a uniform. This is a really good player. Second round pick that has first round value.
1: Okay. So Kyle Dubas has done a nice job uh, making it so that Matthew nice doesn't necessarily have to be an impact guy. If he steps in and he's a high impact guy, that's wonderful. But uh, he's done his job at least building out the depth and making sure that he's not essential to playoff success. Um, does the opponent matter here at all? Like if obviously the Tampa Bay Lightning are the ones that uh, the Maple Leafs have circled in terms of first round opponent, do you feel comfortable in a match or it, regardless of whether or not uh, there's a playoff game, a regular season game, the opponent, do you feel comfortable with Matthew Nyes, but should it be more situational, maybe a weapon off the bench per se uh, in in a playoff series or Is Matthew Nye's, if he gets a couple games and he proves himself as capable and maybe he outplays someone like Alex Kerf? What do you just see it being, you know, automatic where he, if he deserves to be there, he should be there and it doesn't really matter the stage or the opponent?
2: It definitely doesn't matter the stage or the opponent for Toronto this spring. I mean, who's ever going should be going no matter what. What you've mentioned though is exactly accurate. They've got a lot of bodies uh, in that room. Um, One of the things that's going to be interesting down the stretch here is home ice advantage for me in this series isn't so much about the fans as much as it is going to be the 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 tactical side of it. So how the coaches approach their lineups, you know, their last changes and their matchups and. So if Toronto ends up with home ice um, and, you know, Knives is in the lineup, for example, and he's going, that gives them a nice opportunity to get the matchups that they like on home ice with him and his line. I'm not just putting this all on him. Um, But that's what's fascinating about the Leaf lineup right now is that depending on where they are in playoffs, uh, on the road if they have to start there, they have bodies that they can move in and out. Um, But the short answer is if he's going, Like they play Canisius this weekend. Canisius is on a heater. I don't see them upsetting Minnesota on Friday night, but come Sunday in the second game of that uh, region in Fargo. I mean, there's going to be a rivalry game between Minnesota potentially and like St. Cloud or Minnesota state and both those teams. Um, now we're getting into that stage, especially the single game knockout. He could arrive as soon as, well, he could be done by, by Sunday. Um, Is it possible that that, that's NCAA playoffs and anything's possible? So he could be here next week. I would forecast then he would play a game the following weekend, give him a week to get his uh, wits about him. Um, And that gives him a long runway to see what he's capable of against uh, opponents down the stretch before playoffs.
1: What center do you think he would be best teaming up with? Uh, Clearly, a lot of what the Leafs are doing from a lineup standpoint is in flux right now. Ryan O'Reilly's not available. John Tavares is normally holding down that second-line center position, unless Ryan O'Reilly's holding it down. Who would you like to see Matthew Nyes immediately, even a first game? We're not talking about playoffs. He gets in a couple regular season games. Who do you think, in terms of a soft landing or a potential for him to have maximum impact, is, is Ryan O'Reilly the guy that would give him that opportunity? Or do you throw him in there with John Tavares, maybe a, an Austin Matthews? What, what do you think the best situation is from a lineup perspective for Matthew Nyes right away?
2: Honestly, like I'm looking at how they skated yesterday, and I know there's a lot of moving parts right now, but Kerfoot skated alongside Matthews and Yarncrook yesterday. You don't want to, uh, if they're going when, when Nyes comes out, you don't necessarily want to disturb um, you know a good thing. But I would honestly throw him right on that left flank with uh, Matthews and whoever's on the right side. I would, I would, you know, he looks up to Matthews, you know, they're from the same area. Um, He'll be excited about that opportunity. And why not, right? Like, uh, let's see what he's capable of. Let's see if he can play that power game, see if he can maybe uh, get on the score sheet early. Um, failing that, I'd like to see him beside someone like a camp in the three-hole. And I think that that evens out the uh, the lineup. Uh, you know, Bobby McMahon's in there yesterday. Uh, but obviously O'Reilly's going to come back. And, um, you know, I could go on forever. And I think we all could. We could sit here and drink coffee all morning with line combinations with what they've got. Um, but, you know, I'd throw him right through the walls. i I get it going and see where he's at.
0: Um, obviously, this hasn't been awarded yet. But I, I wonder where you think he'll fall in the Hobie Baker Award uh chances. Uh, top, I believe he was in the the, the finalist, top 10 maybe. I, I forget exactly how many they've nominated already, but his odds and possibly winning that prestigious trophy.
2: Uh, tough to say. I mean, you know, coming out of the Big Ten and being the player of the year there and not being like the leading scorer, like you look at Fantilli's year that he had there. Mm-hmm. Um, ridiculous, right? And the fact that nice, uh you know, again, speaking to his complete player type of identity, he won the player of the year in that conference. So I'd say it's as good as anybody else, but there's some phenomenal names on there. I mean, it's uh, uh, there's a fascinating uh, name out of, of, of BU, the, the Hudson kids on the list, and um, I don't know, like... I've sat around even – I'm not a huge football guy, but I've, I've sat around and, and watched the Heisman at the end of the year and I've been shot, so I have no idea how they go through all that <laughs> process. But, hey, good on
0: him for being a finalist. Oh, for sure. And you look at the, the list of players that have won that award and it's a pretty good company to be in. So just being nominated, pretty great. And I'm sure Toronto fans uh, would be overjoyed if he won that one too. It would be crazy here in the city. Um, so the Leafs did make some news just signing uh, their seventh-round pick from 2020, Ryan Turberg, right? Turberg, you...
2: yeah. It's Turberg, yeah.
0: Yes, that V really throws you off. Um, so he's, yeah. ar- he's already joined the Marlies and made his debut over the weekend. Obviously, he's not Matthew Nives, but he's still someone in the Leafs' uh, development prospect system, w- coming out of UConn. Um, what's the scouting report on uh, Turberg? Turberg, We're working on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We've got time. Um, I really like this kid a lot. Um, you know, underdog, seventh round pick, local product. Um, you know, his game, so as I trapped him through college, at first it was like, okay, offense, secondary offense, a lot of compete, um, but clearly needed to get a little bit quicker, absolutely needed to add strength. This year, um, noticeably, similar to Nye's, he's put in a lot of work and noticeably faster between the blue lines. So transitioning with and without the puck, way more power. And he was used in all situations at uh, at UConn. Uh, on the penalty kill, uh, up ice pressure as F1, like he was a guy that as soon as they dumped the puck out of their zone, he tracked like a horse up the, up the ice to try and pressure the opponent before they broke out the puck. So he's uh, shown that he's competitive in all situations. Um, but let's not overplay the hand here. He's a seventh-round pick. It's a bit of a long shot, but at the same time, he's earned everything he's got so far. Best case scenario for me, if he hits on all of his marks, is depth NHL forward, potentially depth scoring, uh, but he'll be able to play some energy and, and also some, uh, some penalty kill.
1: Uh, so the Maple Leafs uh, trade back into the first round uh, with the Rasmus Sandin deal at the trade deadline. We thought it might be uh, another chip that they were acquiring, but they hold on to that pick and they are scheduled to pick in the first round, albeit maybe 32nd overall, uh, with the Boston Bruins having, or that being the Boston Bruins pick rather. Looking at like where the Leafs are at from a prospect standpoint. What would your what would the ideal draft strategy be? Like, what would you guys be talking about in terms of, hey, what should we do with this pick based on the draft and what you have? Should it be like, hey, can we get two picks out of this and trade down or trade up a little bit? Should we try to trade down because the strength of the draft is such? What would you be trying to do based on the Maple Leafs current situation with that 32nd overall pick? I'd be completely flexible,
2: right across the board. So if there's a if I get a phone call and somebody likes one of my prospects and um, they're willing to trade something in the in the mid 20s to move back to 32, and and I've got some cap issues going forward, I'd listen on that. But I would also listen on the trade back scenario. Um, 32 traditionally, let's just say it, it ends up being 32. 32 traditionally, if you were to trade back, will get you a couple of second-round picks, like uh, a mid and a late, or at the very, very worst, like the first pick in the third round. So um, they need some more draft capital, no question. But there's some names right around that in this draft class that are exceptional players that would normally be between 15 and 20 in a, in a normal draft cycle. So, you know, like a Caelan Lind Um, who's playing in Red Deer, he's a rat who scores, and um, you know, it would be a perfect add for the Leafs going forward. Think Michael Bunting, but think even more offense. Um, So, you know, I guess that would be all years for sure, because when you don't have a lot of picks, um, unless that player stands out to be absolutely elite, we're like, that's the best player, the two guys, if we trade back, don't equal that player, Um, then obviously you make the pick, but you got to be all ears guys like because that that draft grid as you know is is pretty
1: empty. Yeah, until further notice, I'm considering that pick number 32. I'll I'll, I'll stay corrected <laughs> uh, if uh, indeed the Boston Bruins don't win the Stanley Cup. Uh what's the latest on Mattvey Mishkov? i um, clearly, you know, the fir- the early read on this was like, you know, 1-2, maybe 1A one 1B one with Connor Bedard and of course there are a lot of different like layers to this story obviously with Mishkov the Russian, but What's his season been like? What are scouts saying about him? Where is his stock right now? Is he like the ultimate wild card in this draft? And what do you expect from him and where his draft position might be? How do you expect or how do you anticipate NHL GMs will handle the Mishkov variable?
2: it's fascinating he's absolutely the wild card so where i came from in florida previously i don't think our owner would have the appetite just because he's a u.s uh, he has u.s army type of background like he probably wouldn't have the appetite to drop the player so politics will enter into the scenario with certain uh, with certain organizations for me personally i'm not listening to at this time of year i don't listen to any noise because i haven't done my final list yet so if i just look on on projection and pedigree alone He right now is the third best player in the draft for me. So he's behind Fantilli at two, and then it goes Mitch How's his year gone? It's ramped up. He was on the heater recently, played some KHL games, um, got loaned out to Sochi. Um, You know, would would people over here, if you eliminate the noise, would you like to see a Panarin, you know, in, in the league down the road, you know, like an electric player? And that's how good he is. Like up on balance, skill-wise, he's right now the third best player of the draft. Strategically, as it comes down the stretch, because he's under contract until past 2025, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Um, so I don't know. If it's going to be, if, if he drops below, call it six, um, somebody's going to be disappointed down the road when he arrives. But I do understand the, uh, the outside noise. It's kind of too bad, isn't it? You know, he's made his bed a bit with the contract. But there's also a lot of outside noise uh, politically in the world. And these kids are 18 years old. And that doesn't sit really well with me. We've
0: got Jason Bukula, former director of amateur scouting at the Florida Panthers. And, of course, our current Sportsnet analyst. Now, you've been writing some great articles giving us uh, some insight of some players. NCAA kids maybe set to make their way to the NHL after the season ends. The Frozen Four, uh, we've already seen some that didn't make that uh that push with their teams head over to the NHL is there any other kids we should keep an eye on um, while this tournament progresses that might be stepping into the NHL or at least signing with a club that could be something you know in the next year or two that might make some noise
2: yeah you know we're lucky in the SCOTA community because a lot of players are actually there's there's Several players playing on the same teams, which is kind of an anomaly. But uh, Jake Livingston, six foot four, 205 pound, right shot D. He plays in uh, Minnesota State Mankato. Um, he's a junior, but um, you know he's a big rig and he plays in all situations. Um, you know, 35 points in 38 games. Uh, you know, those coveted right shot D guys, like teams just seem to crawl over each other in the NHL for trades on um, big right shot D's. So. Jake Livingston in Minnesota State the two-way big heavy guy there's a there's a real offensive weapon at western Michigan his name's Jason Poland uh, he's graduating um, and uh, I mean this kid 46 he led the nation in goals he had like 29 goals on the year in 38 games which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it so um, again you know there's a guy that he's a right shot he plays fast but he doesn't have the same amount of detail as guys like Knives and these other high-end guys that are coming out. So I don't know. I, in my history is that uh, when I first got to the league, when I was like my third, fourth year, I got really excited about all these college free agents, thinking they are all going to be players. By a year like 18, I started to realize that, you know, you get excited, but uh, it takes a lot for them all to jump in and have impact. But uh, there's definitely some names out there.
1: Frazier Minton is the newest, shiniest toy in the Leafs uh, prospect Mm -hmm. system, the 38th selection overall in 2022 in the second round there. Uh, What's he done for his um, futures this season? How has the season gone? How would you describe his development? Where is he at in his road to the NHL? Really
2: good lately, guys. Really good. So um, I don't see him as an elite point producer at the NHL level. I see him as a secondary scorer, so he might play in your three-hole, might get on your second-unit power play, but, um, you know, he's got decent size, he's got some length, he's playing fast. Um, His small-area game is much more competitive and more complete, so, like, he's coming out of small areas around the boards and even around the net, like, he's finding pots more. Um, Obviously, they're hosting Memorial Cup in Kamloops, and he's on a very good team. But he's part of that equation. Like, he's really taken his game to another level as well. So I have to point something out here. And, you know, player development in Toronto is clearly doing a very good job because I'm seeing some really good momentum with more players than not. There's been some guys that you wish, you know, you want to have more out of certain guys. That's always the way. They're kids. But um, I I really do find that certain guys are buying in, and and you can see their weaknesses – turning into at least average, average average-plus strengths, and and I would put him in that category. So two-way forward, secondary score, up and down the ice with good detail
0: you might be talking about Bobby McMahon when you talk about players that are developing and, and looking good in the Maple Leafs system. We got to see a little bit of Bobby McMahon with the big club. Uh, he's back in there right now with a, maybe with some injuries. He looked like he was penciling on the third line. Uh, we really like what he's done. And I think that we're tiptoeing into him maybe starting next season with the Leafs. Is that where you see him?
2: I do. I do. I think that he's going to push for a job next year. I like McMahon. I like Steve's as well. I mean, McMahon um, for me, Again, he's done everything right at the American League level, and he's developed uh, into a player that, let's be honest, with cap uh, you know ramifications as well, he can slide in and he can be trusted. Um, he scores more at the American League level. I think he's going to contribute, though, at the NHL level. He's playing fast, he's competitive, um, and, he, and he's involved, right? So a guy on a low-end contract like that who can uh, contribute to depth in the lineup uh, he's going to bring value. I like him. I like his character.
0: Are you headed to any of the uh, NCAA games here down the stretch?
2: I am planning on being at the Frozen Four potentially because nice. uh, I'm seeing what's uh, what's happening there as that plays out. But right now it's going to be uh, a stretch drive for guys that are going to get eliminated here at Major Junior for the next two weeks. And uh, I'd love to circle back with you guys at the end of April because sure. um, World Championships, U18 Worlds in Switzerland this year, I mean, it's just loaded with prospects mm. for the draft, and I'll be there the whole time.
0: It'll be a busy stretch for you. We'll definitely catch up uh, more prospect talk, especially after that tournament and after the NCAA season ends. So thanks for joining us this morning. Jason, we'll chat soon.
2: Have a great day, guys. Thanks for having
0: me. You as well. Uh, Jason Buchla, former director of amateur scouting at the Florida Panthers. And, of course, current Sportsnet analyst. You can check out his work at Sportsnet.ca. He's been putting some great features out about some prospects. If you don't have the time to go watch every single NCAA game over the last couple seasons, well, just go uh, Sparks Notes, Jason Buchla's articles.
1: Likes what the Leafs are doing. Hard not to like what the Leafs are doing. I mean, this isn't exactly like you know it 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 depends like it's all in the relative context which is okay we've been spending multiple years being bad accruing draft assets yeah you'd like to see something come from that you'd like to see some uh the fruits of your labor per se of being bad and 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 focusing on development but even throughout being good uh and they have been for a while the maple leafs are continue to add at least replacement level bodies to do their thing and we've been ta- we talked about Bobby McMahon yesterday because it seems like Well, if you looked at the Leafs' season to start and what their lineup looked like and how it looked way thinner than it does now, of course, they added a bunch of players. It's going to look that way. But there's some placeholders. And what they've done is successfully installed placeholders into this system, guys like Bobby McMahon who can just start start out playing a role, see if they can hold on to it. And if not, you make the adjustment along the way. I think one of the things Dubas has done and one of the things the Leafs have done well as an organization is build capable NHL guys, even if they're lower level NHL guys uh, from the Marlies who are not like star-studded by any means, but they continue to churn out at least guys who can play a role for you in a pinch like Bobby McMahon.
0: The anticipation is palpable in Toronto to see Matthew Nye step into a Toronto Maple Leafs locker room, throw on the jersey. And as we mentioned, the uh, NCAA Frozen Four, the march to the final is underway this week.
1: Top line Nyes, Bukala's got. Oh. Top line with Austin Matthews.
0: <laughs> that will get everybody fired up we in shall the city see. of Toronto. Um, all right, let's shift to some baseball before we talk to Dan Shulman. And it's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. So Fangraphs, the nerds put out some... The nerds. Well, the good nerds for sure, put out their annual rankings of positional players um, in the MLB. And the Toronto Blue Jays have been awarded first place in the league in catcher's ranking. So they do a bunch of numbers war, et cetera, to take into account all the players that could see time at the position. So obviously the blue Jays have a couple names like Dalton Varsho, who is like more of a break glass in case of emergency, but he factors into this for sure. And the blue Jays are ranked first in the league ahead of the Baltimore Orioles, which obviously has that emerging star, Adley Rutschman, the Dodgers next. Uh, they got Will Smith, but the blue Jays ranked first overall in catch your depth. I have
1: to admit my, my first reaction was like, what happened to the state of catching? Because like it doesn't jump Uh-oh. off it doesn't jump off the page, Danny mm-hmm. Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. It's not like, wow. I mean, all-star level mm-hmm. for sure for Alejandro Kirk last year. And Danny Jansen, I maybe love more than anyone. He might be my favorite blue jay. I think he he does a great deal, and I'm really glad that they didn't trade him this past offseason. There's a lot there. They got two capable catchers, but that's the thing. It's just about having two capable catchers. Because how far is the drop-off between JT Realmuto and the next best catcher? Uh, with Mm -hmm. the Philadelphia Phillies. I would rather have probably that one stud and then a decent backup, but the Blue Jays just have two MLB catchers, and that's a great thing too.
0: I wonder how many opportunities Dalton Varsho gets at catcher two. Um, I think that'll factor in quite a lot when you look at the depth here. I think we'll love to ask Dan Shulman that question, who's going to join us on the other side of the break. Uh, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer with us here at Us, of course, and then he's doing college basketball on espn busy time for dan march madness teeing up for mlb opening day nine days away how do you prepare for both of those things at the same time man probably gets as much sleep as we do
1: this is that time for dan shulman
0: he's putting in the grind uh dan on the other side of the break and once again send in your wake and rake picks at five ninety-five ninety. maple leafs and islanders at seven thirty, and the world baseball classic final japan and the united states at seven
1: The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Opening day, less than 10 days away for MLB season. You got the World Baseball Classic final tonight. The most electrifying tournament in sports history. It's going to wrap up and we'll all be sad, but you don't have to wait too long to see the Blue Jays play the real deal. The meaningful games here in spring and someone's going to be covering both that and deep in March madness. I'm sure Is Dan Shulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer at sports and college basketball at ESPN. Dan, you've been a busy guy as of late.
3: Uh, Well, just, just baseball. So um yeah, for for basketball, I, I'm finished uh, at the end of the regular season because ESPN doesn't have the tournament. Mm-hmm. So I've been just watching a little bit like everybody else. But between doing the Jays and the WBC, and I, I've got my wife and four-year-old down here in Florida, so we're kind of half-vacationing. So I haven't watched as much basketball as I would like. But, uh, boy, it's a busy, fun time of the calendar right now.
0: So watching as a fan at least a little bit, uh, March Madness I guess. Or a lot. Or a lot. Depends on how, <laughs> how much you're being able to balance all of those things as you mentioned. Yeah. Um is there something that stuck out with you over the first opening rounds here, just like the best viewing experience, a game that you just that's what March Madness is all about. Is it the big upsets or do you like something a little different?
3: I like the upsets. I mean, I mean, I don't want like three weeks worth of upsets where you're getting a 14 seed and a 15 seed playing for the national championship. But um, this, I think this is the first time ever that both a one and a two lost in the first round. Um, and then the craziest of all of them was Virginia, a four. It's not unprecedented for a 13 to beat a four, but I see Virginia a lot. I do a lot of ACC games and they are, you know, they're literally the most experienced, smartest team in the country, and the most experienced, smartest player they have, Keehae Clark, is the guy who threw that half court heave Oof. that got picked off. And then, like, I couldn't, I was watching, I could not believe it. Like, he'd be, if you said to me, pick one player in the country who wouldn't do that, he'd be the guy. And, and wow. um, you know, and then Furman hits, he's fifth year senior, has been a starter for four years, was on the national championship team, the whole deal. So I, I, I love the upsets, and it's great, you know, to see, like, Princeton still going against Creighton. Uh, with a chance to get to the elite eight that that's all fun um at the end of the day i think by the time they kind of get to the final four like i love the cinderella story but once they get to the final four i want to see you know heavyweights in there for the most part because you want to see great games so uh, but it's it's been great theater the wbc has been great theater like it, it's there, there are some nights when it's, yeah, I'm in a hotel room, right? So it's your kind of second screening and juggling act. And, and my son wants, he's four, he wants to do a puzzle. And, you know, and <laughs> it's 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 uh, I've had to make some hard life choices in the last 10 days or so.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that was an all-time sports weekend. And it was the WBC that sort of took it over the top, uh, at least for us. But, uh, yeah, you need about four or five screens to make sure you're yeah. doing it properly. Um, so Ailish and I have made snap judgments on, on a lot of these teams that are still alive over the weekend two games is all we're working on but you've seen some of these teams real up close and you know them really really well of the remaining teams is there one that you feel most confident in is there one that is really lined up for success basic or base maybe on their path like which team do you come away from the weekend thinking wow they got a shot here
3: um, so as, as you guys know what I'm sure you've discussed it's a crapshoot every single year and and like if the Stanley cup playoffs were one game series, we'd have a lot different Stanley cup champions over our lifetimes than we've had. Right. It's it, part of it is just the nature of the sport, but part of it is just that it's one and done. If, if it's, if it's a four out of seven, uh, vermin is not beating Virginia. You know, Princeton's not winning, uh, is that, that sort of thing. It's just the one and done nature that makes it so crazy. Uh, and so fun. Um, you know, the two ones who are left Houston and Alabama, obviously they're both great. Alabama is the most talented team in the country. And it's not even close, I, I don't think. But extremely young, they can get a little undisciplined. They take a ton of threes, and sometimes the ball just doesn't go in the basket. But they're um, they're a great team. A team that I have followed closely all season, um, I, I had them uh, in a tournament out in, in Maui in November. And so, I, oh, excuse me, I saw them two or three times. And I just love them, is Creighton. I, I think Creighton is great. Now, they've got Princeton now. Because so they're like, the Blue Jays? Because they, they're the Blue Jays. Although they're, well, two... Two funny things. They're the one-word Blue Mm Jays, right? We're used to the two-word Blue Jays. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I was doing the first Duke Carolina game, and the game ends and Duke wins. And, like, I've been doing Duke Blue Devils games for 28 years, and I've never done this. And the game ends, and I say, and the Blue Jays. And I went (laughs) and and corrected myself and said Blue Devils. So fast forward to, like, eight days ago, whenever I get down to Florida, and I walk into the clubhouse and right away Springer comes up to me and George Springer comes up and he goes, I saw what you did in the Duke game. <laughs> and he goes, I was laughing so hard. And he, said, my w-, and he said, my wife said to me, why are you laughing so hard? And he said, cause that's our guy. And he's thinking about the blue Jays while he's calling a blue devils game. So I've taken a lot of, you know, good natured heat for that. But, but um, I love Creighton. I think Creighton's starting five is as good as anybody's um, in college basketball. And I think they've got an outstanding shot, not only to get to the final four, um, but, to maybe keep going a little bit further than that, you know maybe get to a national championship game who knows who knows how it goes um i 'm the gonzaga u c l a game If you could only pick one game to watch, that might be the game. They had an epic game a couple of years ago, and a lot of the faces have changed, obviously. Um, but those are two outstanding teams, and uh, it's a it's a 9:45 game. The four-year-old will be asleep. I'm planning on watching that one. So, but they they have a they have a great rivalry. You know, Gonzaga has gotten to two national championship games under Mark Few, but they haven't been able to win one. Unfortunately for UCLA, their I would say third best player um, is out with a season-ending knee injury. He hasn't played in this in the tournament at all, and he mm-hmm. won't play the rest of the tournament jalen clark he's just one of those guys that winning teams have guys like him and and he's but if he had been healthy they would have been my pick before the tournament started to win the national championship but they're they're still going without him so we'll see
1: springer was definitely that leo dicaprio meme where he's pointing at the tv uh when you when yeah. you said blue Jays. Yeah, that was right. definitely yeah. what happened <laughs> in the springer yeah. residence um you mentioned the Clark giveaway, the Furman shock win. And we just saw, I mean, maybe it, was, it came out before, but only yesterday, I saw Kevin Harlan's reaction with Van Gundy and, and yeah. uh, all that went into that. It's always a, a great clip on social media. But I wonder, are you comfortable with the camera on you in those moments? Like, do you, do you like that? Do you want to be consumed on social media that way? Do you even have a camera on you for, for many games? Like, what's your stance on that?
3: for most games we do. So we call it the Snoop Cam because that's kind of what it is. But it's 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 not actually it wasn't actually created for what we saw it for on social media with Kevin Harlan, which by the way was great video. Um it it's actually so that in game if at a moment's notice they want to put the announcers on camera, boom, you're on camera. They you don't have to wait for a camera person with a handheld camera to, you know, get up from a his seat and walk 15 feet, you know, the ball's in play. So um, the idea is just to get you on camera quickly during the game and most of the games that I do do have a, a snoop camp I don't know that uh, maybe it has but I don't know that I can ever remember myself being on social media after for for that kind of a moment um, you know again maybe if I did the NCAA tournament that kind of thing would happen but um, it was great video and, and as I watched it you know, so it, it's we, it, we call it the Heisman. Like if one announcer kind of like sticks his arm out and says, "Nobody else is talking now." Like this, you, you know, and that was a, and I love Kevin Harlan. That was a, that was an A plus level Heisman. Like there was no, there was no chance that Van Gundy or Bonner were talking. <laughs> and 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 to Harlan's credit, it wasn't because he wanted the moment. It's because he wanted just the natural. He do he wanted nobody to talk. He wanted the natural moment just to take over the screen. And that is the best thing sometimes that a play-by-play announcer can do. In a big, big, big moment, say nothing. And, and there are times like if we're, if we're at the Rogers Center, bases loaded, two outs, seventh inning, Gosman on the mound, two to one game. I might say to our producer and director, even before, like during the at bat, I might say, if he strikes him out, I'm not saying a word. Like it's it's all yours. Just walk it off. And and Kevin Harlan did a fantastic job. He made the call brilliantly, as he always does. He's great. And then he let the other guys know, nobody say a word. Just let it breathe. And and that it it was great. It was very cool. Uh, To see that, I I, I know all three of them. I've I've worked with Bonner a lot, and I know Stan and I know Kevin. And it, it is cool to see people who do what you do in a moment like that and to see how they
1: react.
0: So you're about to call a lot of moments um MLB opening day 9 days away. How do you prepare for a season ahead? I mean, obviously there's a lot of anticipation, there's excitement, there's new yeah. expectations for the Blue Jays this season. Um what's your process for winding down the days until you're in that broadcast booth for a long time? <laughs> right.
3: So kind of every second day we're doing games down here obviously, so I've started and, and I started doing a little bit of of it during college basketball, but it's a bit of a, you know, a tricky juggling situation doing one and preparing the other but lots and lots and lots and lots of reading you know god bless the internet if you're looking for it you'll find it there's lots of stuff out there um and then i've been going to the the pdc the player development complex in the mornings a few times the clubhouse is usually open like eight to nine and it's actually kind of cool like during the regular season you might have in toronto you might have like 30 media and you go in the clubhouse and there might be six or seven players there you walk in the PDC and there's like four media and 50 players there. I mean, uh, the fishing's much better down here at the PDC. You can you can catch who you're looking for. So you know, just getting to know guys like um, talking to Akira Meyer, talking to I've spent a lot of time with some of the younger guys, Phil Clark and Zach Britton and Ernie Clement, who they just picked up. Like guys who I don't know at all, just kind of getting backstories on them. And then just in the process, I've done three spring games already. We'll do three more just in the process of getting ready for those. Your preparation comes along. So just a combination of kind of online research. I've got my own little, you know, silly system of how I organize notes by teams and stuff like that. Um, and doing a little reading every night, uh, watching the WBC is part of it. It's been fun, you know, so learning about guys who we might see, but, um, it's it is a process, but I, I'm I've been doing this kind of basketball to baseball transition for many many years now, and I'm uh, uh, I'm comfortable with it. And I've got about I, I guess it's two or three days after my last spring game before I head to St. Louis for the regular season, so I can
1: cram then.
0: I don't know if there's been any updates to the broadcast booth with the Rogers uh, Center getting a big facelift. But nonetheless, we'll be excited to get down there and see the the new stadium and all the buzz that'll bring. So not too far away uh, for us, at least. And I'm sure you're just as excited. But um, opening day starter. So this is just around the corner. And if the math, math's. It should be the opening day starter might also be the home opener starter for the Blue Jays um, if, you know, everything aligns nicely. That's very fun. That's a great honor to have if it goes that way. Um, if you're looking at who might be the opening day starter for the Blue Jays in about nine days, who do you think that would be?
3: I think it's going to be Alec Manoa. And the the main reason I say that is he keeps pitching one day in front of Kevin Gosman. So, um, <laughs> I mean, they could flip it around, but I, I guess, and I didn't know this, I don't, I don't know if, if this is common knowledge or not i saw this yesterday i guess no no teams have announced opening day starters because there's actually going to be like a 30 minute special on mlb network thursday i had not heard this like if you're going to do this baseball you should promote this you know and tell people about it i saw it like in a little throwaway comment to a tweet or something about another team and it was like, well, everybody knows so and so, whatever player it was, so and so is going to start. But, 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 so, but I, I think it's going to be Manoa. I mean, all through camp, he's been one or two days in front of Kevin Gosman. Clearly, you can't go wrong. Like you've got two guys who are ace level caliber, um, in, in my opinion. But I, I'm guessing it's it's Manoa on the Thursday, and then Gosman on the Saturday, in the second game, uh, and then I don't know between Bassett and Barrios. Barrios, I am told is going to start the game that we're doing tomorrow against Baltimore. Now, he hasn't thrown a lot of innings. You know, Sometimes a guy goes to the WBC and you worry about him throwing too many innings. He hasn't thrown enough innings. He only pitched once, and he only lasted an inning and a third or whatever it was. So I think the Blue Jays want to get his pitch count up. I'm guessing it'll be Bassett three and then figure it out with Kikuchi and Barrios, depending on how ready they think. Barrios is, but you're right. It's a 10 game road trip. So if they go through all five without skipping anybody because of the off day, then whoever gets opening day would also get the home opener. And, and I think it'll be Manoa for both.
1: They're treating that special like uh, the NHL treats its stadium series. Like you have no idea right. what's going on, right. uh, but uh, it does happen. So uh, that'll be interesting to see, or at least talk about afterwards when we miss it. Right? Um, right. It, is that the only thing that matters, Barrios? Over the last couple days of camp here, like we saw a lot of movement yesterday in terms of uh, roster decisions. It doesn't seem like there's going to be too many surprises. But the Barrios thing and making sure he gets some work and seeing if there's some positivity, some momentum build up uh, before the season for him is like that. The last thing that really matters here. For from Jay's camp.
3: I think it's the biggest thing, but I, I think there are still two other things. I don't think we know who the eighth and final reliever is going to be. I, I believe we know who the first seven are and they're, you know, all the no surprises in the first seven. I've got Trevor Richards, one of those seven, they, they re-signed him. He's out of options and he's had a really good spring. So I, I've got Richards in the group with all of the other uh, names that, that uh, we all know. And the, but I think the eighth guy is still up for grabs. We uh, we talked about it a little bit on whatever day it was, Saturday, the la- the last game I did, and we kind of put up a graphic of who we think it'll be. And we had, um, I don't think it'll be Mitch White, another guy who's who hasn't pitched in a game yet. I think they're going to want to build him up on the IL as a starter, a little bit down in Buffalo. So it could come down to Nate Pearson or Zach Pop, uh, as one of, and they've both got options. So whoever's on the team, if you didn't, you know, if you make a move later, you could option them down to Buffalo. So you've got a little flexibility there. But uh, I'm guessing one of those two makes the team. Pearson had a two-inning outing. I always have trouble saying inning outing. A two-inning outing on, uh, in our Saturday game and looked good. Gave up a couple of hits, but didn't give up any runs. Struck out a couple. Velocity was good. Command was pretty good. Um and I, I think he might have the inside track. Like at this point doesn't he have to sink or swim at the big league level. So I think there's a chance Pearson gets that last spot. The other spot is the last position player spot. And I think Otto Lopez has the inside track there. And it's not because of what he did at the WBC, although I think he enhanced his candidacy at the WBC. But I think, you know, he plays like six positions, he makes contact, he's a right handed batter which given all the lefties they acquired in the off season, I think that last bench spot, a right-handed batter would be better. He's got some speed. You know, you can, you can do a lot of different things with Otto Lopez. It could be Nathan Lucas. It could be somebody else, but so those are the two things, just kind of last bullpen spot, last bench spot.
0: Yeah, Adol Lopez at the World Baseball Classic, he stole the hearts of a lot of people. We talked to yeah. uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith about it as well last week, and it was really exciting to see him um, have a little moment of shine as well. A um, couple things left to talk to you about, Dan. Sorry to keep you a little longer, but uh, Fangraphs mentioned, uh, or yesterday came out with the Jays being ranked first in catcher depth in the MLB. Um, obviously, Dalton Varsho is on that list. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. How many times will see him catching, um, barring injuries. What do you see the platoon or the split between the catchers that the Blue Jays have? And were you surprised to see them, you know, pull up first in that ranking?
3: Uh, not surprised to see them pull up first. I, I mean, you know, Kirk started the all-star game. And you can make a case that Jansen actually had just as good of a season the way that he swung the bat at times. And Kirk, you know, kind of cooled off in the second half. I don't think. And that's why they traded Moreno, right? Uh, you, you know, because they have two really good catchers, two catchers who would be the number one on, on, you know, most other teams. So um, I don't think Varsho catches unless it's an emergency. The Blue Jays have kind of said that he started 17 or 18 games, something like that behind the plate uh, for Arizona last year. But I, I think he's a full-time outfielder uh, unless they have a need. And and like if, you know, somebody went on the IL, Kirk or Jansen. I don't think they turn Varsho into a catcher all of a sudden. I think they bring up whoever their top guy is at AAA. I think Varsho is, you know, Jansen's dh Kirk's catching, uh, Kirk, whatever, uh, gets a cramp in his leg and has to leave the game, and then, you know, Varsho might come in so they don't lose the DH, that, that kind of a situation. Um, in terms of the split, um, you know, they like their personal catchers a little bit. I think Kirk will catch Manoa. I think Jansen is going to catch Bassett and so on. But I think it'll be about a 50-50 split overall. And if one guy hits much better than the other, maybe one guy catches 90 or 95 games instead of around 80. Uh, but I think it'll be pretty close to a 50-50 split and that Kirk will DH some as well, not as much as he did last year. Now that Brandon Belt is here, he's going he's to chew up a lot of the DH spots. And I think they'll still want Vladdy there sometimes, still want Springer there sometimes. Um, so I think 50 50 split each guy DHs a little bit Kirk maybe a little bit more I think they'd like to play Kirk a little bit less than they did last year feeling that maybe he wore down a little mm-hmm. bit but boy it's a good problem to have when you got two catcher you know you combine their numbers and and look at them over 162 games and that's uh, it's a pretty special uh, combination they've
1: got it is clearly uh, total catching looks really good on the blue Jays but I wonder like my first reaction was like oh who's catching behind JT real Milto because you'd probably rather have JT uh, than both the the Blue Jays catchers, right? So, like... Uh, But then again, like, where is the catching position going? I mean, I guess it's it's been a bit of a trend recently. Um, But then you looked at those other teams and it's like, yeah, there is a bit of a fall off here from their best catcher to the next. And some teams don't have any catchers that you're really, really confident in. Is that the way that Major League Baseball is going? Like, I don't know if they did this intentionally. I think, you know, Alejandro Kirk was this undeniable bat. And then he got better defensively. It got better at the catching position. And they always had Jansen or they've had Jansen for a while. Or like, are they kind of setting the a new sort of standard where you have multiple options or multiple catchers that can play a high level, or would you rather still have that guy who's there most often and is going to be, you know, there's no questions to make in a playoff game. You got JT real Noto behind the, on the plate. If right. you're really, really good about it. Right.
3: Adley Rutschman of Baltimore is going, if he's not that guy already, he's going to be that guy very soon. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you can have a superstar catcher, you want a superstar catcher, but you know, you go back even two years ago, uh, Kirk was, I mean, Swinging the bat, great, but he was young and very inexperienced and not as good defensively, and people were still learning about him. Jansen has had trouble staying healthy, and this past year, Jansen hit great, but before kind of the last half of the 21 season, he wasn't hitting all that well. I think for the Blue Jays, it's just kind of the way it developed. Kirk sustained the offense and improved the defense. And Jansen improved the offense. And now all of a sudden, you got two good options. If only one guy had improved, I think we'd have a clear number one and a clear number two on the Blue Jays. But it's just they both have a lot to offer. Teams are – like I, I remember when starting catchers would start 145, 150 games. And then I'm not – like literally 145 or 150. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even y- young Yadi Molina, I bet you, was up in the 140s. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> even Rutschman, if he – I don't think he starts more than 125 behind the plate. They might DH him for 20 more, but nobody is no catcher starting 140, 150 games anymore. Those days are gone. So if you have two good ones, it's great because then you don't have the drop off. Nobody is taxed too heavily. Everybody's fresh. You're insulated against an injury that, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, again, I think it's just kind of the way things turned out that Kirk got much better defensively earned the trust of the pitching staff and all that stuff. And, and, We saw from Jansen last year that when healthy, he can be a, um, you know, a power force near the bottom of the lineup. So, and and he's got so much respect in the clubhouse. He's been there a long time and his work with the catcher, with the, with the pitchers. So um, it's great. I'm curious to see, I I really, you know, Kirk will be with Manoa and I really feel Jansen will be with Bassett. I'm curious if beyond that, like, does Gosman have a personal guy? Is Jansen with Kikuchi all the time or do they kind of mix and match? I'm not sure how that'll work out yet.
0: Uh, Last one for you here, Dan, Um, maybe just uh, a pipe dream, but I'm sure you saw uh, Reds GM Nick Craw making some headlines yesterday when he said he'd just be open to possibly talking about trading Joey Votto to the Blue Jays if all the cards align and they're not making a playoff push. Just open to the idea, not that that's something that's going to happen. Votto to the Jays, obviously, you know, the legend, the Canadian ties. What would the fit be if... There was a fit. Uh, Let's say that the season comes around and the trade deadline, Joey Votto's sitting there willing to change the end of his career to play with the Blue Jays.
3: Well, that's the key word right there. Nobody's, I've never heard Joey Votto. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a member of the Cincinnati Reds, obviously. I've always had the feeling if Joey Votto really wanted to play for the Toronto Blue Jays, he would have already been a Toronto Blue Jay. Like, who knows if Joey wants to uh, play for the Blue Jays? I don't know. Not everybody wants to play in their hometown. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I just Mm -hmm. have no idea. Uh, maybe he wants to spend his whole career in in one uniform. I'm not sure. So, A, he has to be willing because he's got a a no-trade clause. He's a 10 or 5 guy, so he's got no trade protection Mm -hmm. in his contract. What would the fit be? That's also tricky because the role you would envision Joey Votto in, they went out and signed Brandon Belt for $9 million, right? So I don't really see a fit unless something has happened with either Guerrero or Belt, and nobody wants that to happen. So – um, but if for some reason something happens and if for some reason Joey Votto wants to finish his career in Toronto, it's an awesome story. I'd love to see it. Mm-hmm. I, I still think there's, there's something left there for him and, and it would be really cool, but it still feels kind of unlikely for me.
0: For sure. All the cards would have to, the stars would yeah. have to align and, uh, you never know how the season goes, but it'd be a fun story yeah. to tell for sure. Okay. Quickly, Japan or USA tonight?
3: Wow. Uh, I'm firstly, I'm really excited. <laughs> uh, all uh, um, so Otani said he's pitching in relief, right? I think, I, I don't yep. think he's going to start. He's going, so if I'm the USA, I might want to have a lead by the end of six or seven.
2: That's yeah. a, <laughs> but
3: wouldn't it be awesome? I don't even know who the home team is. Do we even know who the home team is? It doesn't matter. But wouldn't I think it be it's awesome Japan. It's, I think. Is it Japan? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, so wouldn't it be awesome if it's, the top of the ninth and japan's leading by one Mm -hmm. and there's a man on and trouts at the you know trouts at the plate (laughs) and otani's on the mound um i saw a cool little thing on twitter and it it makes total sense tonight's got a chance to be like the most watched baseball game ever maybe Mm -hmm. right if if the world and, and and we forget i think sometimes in north america how much more this kind of an event means and 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 you guys love it i love it i think it's great But, you know, you've seen the games and the crowds when Venezuela or Mexico or Puerto Rico or Japan or Korea play. Like, it's awesome. And this is – it's a great reminder of how important this sport is worldwide and how popular it is worldwide. So I'm not going to pick a winner, but I I do want to see – I do want to see Otani versus Trout in the ninth inning with the game on the line. That would be that would be the best of the best. Nothing would beat that,
0: and that'd be a win for everyone watching. That's oh, all that matters. Yes. <laughs> Dan, yes. appreciate you joining us this morning. Enjoy the next couple weeks. Uh, we're excited to hear you back here um, in the booth. Of nine days till opening day for MLB.
3: Can't wait! Thanks, guys.
0: Talk soon. That's Dan Shulman, Blue Jays play-by-play announcer, Sportsnet and college basketball at ESPN. It's going to be a hell of a game tonight. That's a
1: great point by Dan. Yeah. Maybe the most watched game ever. Pretty, pretty cool.
0: Tickets would be. uh,
1: When when would game. uh, We'll have to check it quick. The time difference in Japan. When they'd be uh, watching. 13 hours. 13 hours. So they'll be watching 8 a.m. A little coffee.
0: Could be good. Kickstart your day. They'll be watching. That's the way to
1: start your day. I'd be down with that.
0: Electric. Um, All right. What we'll be watching tonight as well is the Maple Leafs on the road against the New York Islanders. We're going to talk to former teammate of John Tavares on the other side of the break, Thomas Hickey, who's also an analyst with MSG right now, current Islanders. Content coming out there. Uh, Let's talk about JT and the return to Long Island again.